has lost my sermon. Would you guys pray with me again, too? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, be pleasing to you. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning, Ivan Rest. My name is Kate. Um, I work at the Christian Reformed Church denominational headquarters. Um, so I, a lot of my job is to sit behind a computer in an office, and so I'm not every Sunday uh, preaching. And so it was a real honor to be asked to preach, and I'm so grateful for the invitation to be able to be with you guys this morning. Um, being uh, at the denomination is one of my jobs. Another one of my jobs is that I'm a mom. My youngest son is named Sam, and he started kindergarten this, well, this fall. Um, and so it's been a big time of transition for the Coymans um, in the last couple of weeks as the baby of the family headed off to kindergarten. And if you've ever hung out with a five-year-old who's going through a big transition, you know that everybody experiences a lot of emotions around that um, as, as he sort of has been adjusting to his new world. So um, what we, we experienced sort of one of these big emotional experiences on Thursday, actually. And as we, oh, we're going to read the scripture, don't worry, I didn't forget about that part. Um, so on Thursday night, what happened was my, my kids, I have two boys, they were playing with Legos, and they were in the middle of this, like, really intense, epic Lego something. I wasn't playing, so I don't really know what it was, a battle maybe or something. And um, it was time for bed. And so I said, boys, time to go up, get your jammies on. And so they were sort of coping with this bad news as they were walking up the stairs by saying, all right, well, tomorrow we'll get home from school, and then you'll be the red guy, and I'll be the blue guy, or whatever they were saying. And I made the mistake of saying to my oldest, oh, Jake, don't forget that you're going over to Gabriel's house tomorrow after school. And this was wonderful news for Jake. This was devastating news for Sam, to find out that his big brother was not going to be there to do the Lego battle with him after school the next day was like the world was ending. And so we had weeping and gnashing of teeth and the whole thing was biblical, you know, proportions or whatever, and it was very difficult to get Sam to move on with the teeth brushing and the, the PJs, and I was trying all my tricks and none of them was working, and so finally I said, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. So that was, that was all right. He laid on his bed, and he had his blankie, and he was, you know, sucking his finger, and he listened to me tell this story. And so I told him a story about a snake, because we had just gone camping, or, or we were in the woods a couple of weekends before, and we saw a snake, and it was a big deal. So that was what came into my brain. Okay, so there's this little snake, and this snake is part of a snake family, and and the little snake, he's the youngest in the family, and he has a big brother snake, and sometimes big brother goes and slithers off. And you know where I'm going with this, right? Okay, so this is what we did, and we told this whole story, and it really, Sam was able to move on. By the end of the story, he was feeling better, and he brushed his teeth, and we were able to move on with our life. Story is powerful. It's how we're made, right? It helps us to make sense of our world, whether we're five or 95, Story is one of the ways that we make sense of who we are. We make sense of who God is. We make sense of the world around us and how we fit into it. And so what happened with Sam, with the story of the little snake, was not really that different than, than what happens in a lot of our lives. Advertisers know this very well, right? 
the media and um, people who are, t movies, all these things, they know this well. And it's also part of our faith. The reason we have the stories in scriptures, they were handed down, told and told and told and told, and then they were put into a book. And that's what we have today, because stories are part of how we make sense of our world. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for today, because Jesus is a storyteller, of course. He often tells stories. And one of the ways that we make sense of the stories that Jesus tells is just like Sam, we find out who we are in those stories that are being told. Now, I was being super obvious about it. Well, there was a little snake whose name was Sammy. You know, so it was pretty clear, like, who was Sam in this story, right? Sometimes I think it's not quite as clear. Um, and so let's listen to a story that Jesus tells this morning and see if you can find yourself in this story. This is from Luke 10 in your pew Bibles. This is on 843. Luke 10, starting at uh, chapter, verse 25, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard it before. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down the road, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I was thinking about that expert in the law. And of course, during this time in history and this time of the people of Israel, the expert in the law wouldn't have been like a lawyer like we have today, who's expert in a secular law. This was an expert in the Jewish law, uh, a person who was an expert in the Torah. So this was not just a faithful person, but this was an expertly faithful person, very serious about getting things right. And when he hears this story from Jesus, I got to wondering, who does he identify with in this story? Where's the me? Just like Sam does, just like we do. 
So I'm thinking that when Jesus has the priests walk by, right, maybe he's thinking at first, oh, well, maybe this is me. I'm a little bit like the priest. But then the priest is not the hero of the story. The Levite walks by, well, maybe this is me. I'm a little bit like the Levite. But the Levite also, not the hero of the story, walks right by. So then we get to the hero of the story, the third character. And I wonder if the lawyer isn't thinking, well, maybe this is me, except the hero of the story is a Samaritan. Now, sometimes I think we gloss by this, because if you're anything like me, you might see yourself in the Samaritan. I think that's how I was taught to interpret this, uh, this story. But if you're like the lawyer, no way would that have been you. The Samaritans, for someone who was a faithful Jew, would have been anathema. This was pe- they, they, it was a different religion, and it was wrong. If you were a faithful Jew, a Samaritan would have offended you. Their lifestyle, their culture, their customs, all of it would have offended you. They lived far off, barrier between them, right? They maybe built a wall or something. So they didn't want to have anything to do with them. For the Jews, Samaritans were disgusting and they were offensive. But not only that, they were also frightening. There was um, violence that happened between Samaritans and Jews, both ways, right? They hated each other, and so they tried to hurt each other. And so for the Jews, a Samaritan was a terrorist. They had enacted terrorism on each other. So when the third character of the story, when the hero of the story is a Samaritan, my guess is that that good Jewish expert would have said, well, that's not me. So who am I in this story? And maybe that's what it would have taken for him to realize that Jesus wanted him to identify with the guy laying half dead in the ditch. See, if you're anything like me, if you're anything like this lawyer, maybe you have been taught in, in, in your faith, in your Christian walk, in the community you grew up in, that you've got a lot to offer. You've got gifts and talents that the world needs. And that is true, right? You've got intelligence. You've got access to stuff. You've got a story of good news. You know about the gospel. The world needs it. That is all true. But one thing that I think it does to us sometimes, when we always think of ourselves as the hero of the story, when we're always the one who has something to offer, to help, to save, to serve, Sometimes I think Jesus wants to remind us that we need some help, too. Sometimes we're not the hero of the story, but we're the ones laying half dead in the ditch. The question that the lawyer asked was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he came up with some really good answers, and Jesus said, yes. But what he didn't recognize, maybe, what the point of this parable was, maybe, was that we don't, we don't do our way to eternal life. We don't get the right answers or achieve it, right, or show God we're worthy of it. We receive it. And the crazy thing about our God is that sometimes that happens in the face of the one we despise. 
the one who disgusts us, the one who frightens us. See, I think that that's a story that shows up over and over and over again in Scripture. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah way back at the beginning of the story, right? Abraham and Sarah are in a tent. They are vulnerable in the wilderness, and three strange men come knocking on their, their tent. Well, I don't know. What do you knock on on a tent? The walls, whatever. Anyway, they come, they come, they come over. And, and Abraham and Sarah feel vulnerable, right? They don't know. Do they mean us harm or good? But they show hospitality to those strangers, come what may. And through that, God brings the news of blessing. You will bear a son, right? And that is kind of a foundational story, and we see glimpses of it all along the way, this idea that it's an outsider, right? It's the one who'd been cast off. It's the weirdo. It's the gross one. It's the unclean one. It's, it's the woman or the person with a disability, or it's the Samaritan or the leper or whatever who comes and brings a message from God. In fact, in Hebrews, we learn this. Take care to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, you might be entertaining angels without knowing it. And this is the reminder of that story way back in Genesis of Abraham and Sarah showing hospitality and the goodness of God that showed up in their life because they let in that stranger, come what may. I think that this is a story that shows up so often in Scripture that the stranger brings a blessing. The stranger brings new life, or promise, or hope, if we are willing to open our eyes to it, if we are willing to allow ourselves to receive that help. And I think that this is a really important word for us today. Because I don't know if you are experiencing what I'm experiencing right now, but it seems like in our uh, collective life together right now, in this country and in this community, I feel like we are addicted to us and them. I think it's getting worse and not better. I think we've always been this way, and that has to do with the fact that we're human beings, we're sinful, right? So the Jews and the Samaritans were one great example of what used to happen in the ancient world. We've been doing that same us and them for a long time. One of the ways that we do this is by race, right? Us and them in the United States has always been a very easy way for us to figure out, are you us or are you them? Racial categories have been. I'll never forget when I learned. So my mom grew up in Grand Rapids. Um, she grew up in a neighborhood called Alger Heights. Maybe some of you know Alger Heights. So I learned by reading a book about the history of Grand Rapids that when my grandfather bought the land, the parcel of land that he built a house on in Alger Heights, he was able to buy that land because he was white. Because it is, was explicitly stated that black families couldn't live in Alger Heights. Now, I knew that there was implicit bias, right, that we experience now, but I didn't know it was explicit like that. Us and them was part of the foundation of that neighborhood, of the city and the community that we live in based on race. And we still experience this today. One of the ways that we're experiencing this today, there's a big old conversation going on right now about immigration, right? And you'll hear shadows of this us and them conversation in the way that we talk about immigrants. We'll, we want immigrants to come here if they're us kind of immigrants, right? If they have a job, if they pay taxes, if they assimilate and learn English, and not if they're them kind of immigrants, 
right? So this is one of the rubrics that we are using to differentiate who's in and who's out, who's us and who's them. But I, I feel like in my heart, one of the ways I do this the most is with politics. And I don't know if anybody else is feeling that way too, but it feels like that's gotten worse and not better. I feel like we're sizing each other up all the time to figure out, are you us or are you them? When it comes to these issues or these current events, are you on my team or are you on their team? And it's gotten to the point where I think it's killing us. You know, you hear about people who can't sit down at family dinner together, Thanksgiving dinner. They're not going to go or someone in their family is not going to go because now somehow that us and them, that political divide, has become so deep that it's transcended the unity of a family. I think it's killing us. And I think it's showing up in the church, too. I think that that us and them has become so strong to us that it's stronger than the faith, right? It's stronger than a brother and sisterhood in Christ. Are you on that side or are you on this side? And it's breaking up churches. It's breaking up those relationships. I think it's killing us. And I think in some ways, we, like the man in this story, are half dead in the ditch. We need new life. Not just a life eternal that begins after we die, but we need that life now. And I think we're offered a solution, right? So in that Hebrews passage, it says, show hospitality to strangers. And that word hospitality is a certain word. It's a Greek word. Every time in your New Testament you read the word hospitality, you're reading it. And that Greek word is this, Philoxenia. Philos means love. And xenia is the other or the stranger. So it turns out that that ever important virtue of hospitality that we are to strive for as Christians, that is not the love of the, those who you already know. So if you invite somebody over after church for supper or whatever, that's lovely. And it's not Christian hospitality. Because Christian hospitality isn't the love of the one who's like me, the one I already know or feel comfortable with. It's not that kind of love. It's the love of the other, the love of the one who scares me, who disgusts me, who I want to keep at arm's length. And I think that this is the antidote to the us and the them that's killing us as the church. And I think it's the antidote because in some mysterious way, this is how God sometimes shows up in our lives. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I think Jesus is being very clear here that sometimes when you welcome the stranger, you're welcoming an angel, a blessing. And sometimes when you're welcoming the stranger, you are welcoming the healing, the hope, the new life that comes through Christ. It is Christ who shows up for us in those moments. We're not always the one who comes with the good news. Sometimes the good news wraps around us in the form of the one who scares us, 
who disgusts us, who we hold at arm's length. It is the blessing of the stranger. And friends, I think it is the healing of the church. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to see your face. Even if your face shows up for us and the ones who we want to keep far off. We know that you are able to heal us, Lord. So we ask that you heal our nation and our communities, our churches. We ask that you heal us. Even through the promise of a stranger. Give us courage, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.